This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Relationships, Walking Gently as Giants Elephants are highly sociable creatures. They move in large herds, which usually comprise of more than one family group. They protect, care for, and even suckle each other's young. In the dry season, several herds will often join together or remain in infrasonic contact in the belief that camaraderie helps them face the harsh elements of nature. A lot of their time and energy is spent cultivating and nurturing relationships in the herd, whether by frequent infrasonic dialogue, playing together, or intimate caresses with their trunks. It is clear that building bonds of family and friendship is at least as important as feeding. In the wider context, they have no natural enemies, and many of their actions are symbiotic in nature, such as digging water holes, fertilizing ingested seeds, and making vegetation accessible to other species. In terms of our metaphor, lions also have relationships, although they tend to see their opposite numbers more like self-serving acquaintances. Team building in the pride is important for effective pack hunting. Cubs will be looked after, so long as they are effective predators. But friendship doesn't extend much beyond the family. After all, other prides are competitors chasing after the same food, and other species are either competitors or prey or accomplices. When mixing does occur, it is usually brief and unemotional with survival in mind. For the lion, procreation is hardly a romantic affair. Wham, bam, and not even thank you, ma'am. And as for relationships with other creatures, well, who can trust a lion? No matter how smoothly he purrs, there is always the chance of you being friend today, food tomorrow. In business, the dynamics have been the same. Companies have cultivated relationships only from pure self-interest, mostly with shareholders, financial analysts, customers and suppliers. And usually these interactions have been a pure power play whining and dining the influential few while ignoring the rest or pressuring them into conformance. The idea of genuine dialogue with communities, NGOs and government for the sake of enduring symbiotic relationships rather than as a short-term bargaining tactic is still somewhat unpalatable for most companies. With their courtly eye on the skittish profits Spending time and energy on building long-term friendships without any immediate reward seems, well, a costly indulgence. But the game is changing. To survive in the sustainability era, companies have to move beyond their aggressive, competitive tendencies. They need to learn not only to be sociable, but genuinely concerned about the perspectives and well-being of all of their stakeholders. Barry Nailbuff and Adam Brandenberger, in their book of the same title, calls this transition co-opetition. While David Wheeler and Maria Silanpar talk about the stakeholder corporation, and Paul Hawken, Amory Lovins and Hunter Lovins talk about natural capitalism. Companies ignore this friendly advice at their own peril. Stakeholders, if maltreated, can bite back, 
and even the most macho multinational lions can find themselves bleeding. Already the casualty list of high-profile companies is long. BP, DreamWorks, Green Cross, Intel, McDonald's, Monsanto, Nike, Procter & Gamble, Shell, Texaco and Walmart, to mention but a few. Encouragingly, however, the list of branded, stakeholder-oriented shapeshifters is also growing, including the likes of 3M, AT&T, Body Shop, Canon, Electrolux, Hewlett-Packard, Levi Strauss, Reebok, Unilever, Volkswagen and Volvo. Employees are such core stakeholders to business that transgressions on this front are almost unforgivable. Texaco found this out when a racism scandal in 1996 lost its shareholders more than a billion dollars in market capitalization on the day the news broke and ultimately cost the company $115 million in a legal settlement of a suit filed on behalf of 1,400 employees. Likewise, Walmart and Nike sustained heavy reputational damage when they were caught employing cheap child labor in third world countries. It didn't help Nike's public relations nightmare that it paid Michael Jordan $20 million a year to endorse their products, while paying its Indonesian subcontractors annual wages of less than $1,000. A similar tale of employee neglect can be told about the asbestos mining industry. Companies like Turner and Newell, or TNN, and Cape PLC argued for years that the health risks to their workers were acceptable. The courts, however, are starting to side with the former employees, who are the victims of the occupational disease of asbestosis. TNN has already paid out more than £350 million over 10 years to meet the claims of its former employees, and Cape PLC recently reached a settlement agreement of £22 million to compensate the families of a group of former South African miners. One has to wonder whether other mining companies, as well as nuclear energy utilities and chemical companies, may suffer a similar fate in the elephant landscape of the future. In contrast, Reebok, who has developed a reputation for taking a public stand on social issues, pledged to fight exploitative labour practices. It called on activists to alert it to any abuses that were occurring and began requesting all its vendors for certification that they are complying with codes of conduct, such as those of the International Labour Organization. Levi Strauss has gone even further. In Bangladesh and Turkey, where children were working for contractors and providing their families' only source of income, Levi's actually paid the contractors to keep the children in school until they were 14. In areas where it felt it had less influence, like China, Levi's took the tough commercial decision to withdraw from the country until its human rights record improves. In recognition of the importance of its employees, American telecommunications giant AT&T has introduced alternative measures of performance that include people value added alongside customer value added and economic value added. Likewise, Swedish insurance company Scandia has begun to quantify its hidden assets by producing reports that place a financial value on its intellectual capital. 
Meanwhile, Volkswagen is trying to balance the reliance on shareholder value with the concept of workholder value. Customers are another major stakeholder group, which all companies swear they look after, but the evidence does not always agree. Take tobacco companies, for instance, who at one point swore before Congress that they believed that cigarettes are not addictive. They are not so bold since the landmark court case in which Grady Carter was awarded $750,000 in damages for the loss of a lung following cancer surgery. This was one of the first in a string of liability claims against tobacco companies in 1996, resulting in losses in share value of billions of dollars. The value of British American tobacco suddenly dropped by three billion pounds alone. Banks also have a notoriously bad track record with customers by failing to provide financial services to those that need them most, the poor and socially marginalized population. Yet banks like the Los Angeles Community Development Bank, the South Shore Bank of Chicago, the Kaja Labora Bank in Spain and the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh have shown that financial services can be made accessible to all customers not just the lucrative high net worth sector. Others like the Cooperative Bank in the UK, Van City in Vancouver, Citizens Bank in Tokyo and the Triodos Bank in Europe also show that customers' money can be made to work for various sustainability causes such as investing in community development and promoting renewable energy. Suppliers are another key stakeholder group and proactive engagement with the supply chain is going to become critical for elephant companies in the future. Early adopters of this new reality were the Body Shop, the Cooperative Bank, Tradecraft and Ben and & Jerry's. More recently, companies like Unilever, Sainsbury's, Volvo and Nortel have joined the party. Unilever, which sells ranges of fresh fish products, has adopted a WWF-developed international labeling scheme for sustainable fish production, whereby its suppliers all need to be certified by the Marine Stewardship Council. This is a sister organization to the highly successful certification scheme of the Forest Stewardship Council. UK retailer Sainsbury's is also starting to scrutinize its supplier relationships, insisting on dolphin-friendly tuna, organic vegetables and no animal testing. In the car manufacturing sector, Volvo has added environmental care as the third of its core values that suppliers need to embrace, the other two being safety and quality. Telecommunications company Nortel emphasizes partnerships with its suppliers in tackling the environmental impacts of its production chain. This shared savings approach is being used to achieve a reduction in use of chemicals in Canada and a minimization of waste in the UK. The European Business Network for Social Cohesion is dedicated to walking gently as giants. The network, comprising a coalition of more than 300 businesses, including household names like British Telecom, Philips and Kellogg's, was established in 1995 to counteract the negative impacts of the global economy. They are a forum devoting their time to finding creative solutions that will help to avert redundancies, encourage employee reskilling, 
facilitate the reintroduction of laid-off employees into the workforce and protect vulnerable economic groups. The UK's Business in the Community is a similar initiative. Research by Harvard professors John Cotter and James Heskett confirms that by taking care of stakeholders, it is good for the traditional bottom line as well. They compared the 11-year records of large established companies that gave customers, employees and shareholders equal priorities with those that have always put the shareholders first. It turned out that the more stakeholder-sensitive companies grew sales four times faster, created eight times as many jobs, improved the share price eightfold, and experienced greater net income growth. In other words, shape-shifting from a lion into an elephant is not the same as being condemned to starvation. Elephants have a healthy appetite. They just aren't obsessed with food to the exclusion of everything and everyone else.